Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 365 on Tuesday, the 17th of November, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we've seen the confrontational marketing is so very 2020, we'll be asking if the country will be switched on enough for a deadline. We'll be discussing how in one case we really should not be digging up the past. And we get another lesson in how making cars is hard. Okay, Boomer, get on with the follow-up then. (laughs) But first, we have a smidgen of (laughs) follow-up. This is an early warning for those of you who are desperately thinking of what you can get your loved ones for Christmas. Carlos Ghosn is coming out with a book. And he has been giving a few interviews to help drum up marketing for said book. And in it, Mm. there's it's only a short article which uh, will be in the show notes as ever so click through on the link but the main headline is that he claims he fled japan to escape not justice but injustice because he he is convinced that the legal system was not set up to be fair and that he was constantly being interviewed uh, cross-examined and interrogated without his lawyers there. And he, they kept telling him the 99.4% conviction rate and he just needed to admit his guilt <laughs> and they were going to go after his family as well. This is Mr. Gone's side of the story, by the way. <laughs> I, I would, um, yes, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a right Buddhist ripper of a book, I'm sure. Uh, film rights, no doubt, to follow. Yes. But yeah, don't scroll down. Don't read the comments on that. It very much counts as the bottom half of the internet. Uh, if you if you scroll down a bit, it gets a bit gets a bit silly a bit quickly mm-hmm. uh, down there. Okay, Alan, take us on to the new news, the one that got everybody frothing at the mouth. It did. Abs- people were going absolutely nuts on this one, and that is that the UK government have muttered that they are considering a road pricing scheme somehow to cover the shortfall in tax that will happen when everybody is forced to drive evs so right at the minute of course if you have a pure electric vehicle then you don't have to pay any it's not road tax vd vehicle excise vehicle excise duty at all sorry that was that moment of just checking myself um and of course you won't be paying fuel duty either no because they can't necessarily work out what electricity is going into your car and what electricity isn't so massive potential tax shortfall anyone who didn't see this coming i don't know which hole you've had your head stuck in or you just didn't care (laughs) or you just didn't care so don't you see you can't bleat now (laughs) yeah exactly so this was this can't possibly be a surprise to anyone no one of the points that uh when electric vehicles are discussed and there is obviously it is brought up about incentives to get people to change their buying habits and go for an EV rather than a normal uh, or even a hybrid, but mm-hmm. more likely the the normal uh, internal combustion engine. A lot of people say we should not incentivize them to do it because they don't pay VED, because they don't pay any fuel duty, that and then you give them money off that means there's three forms of subsidy from those of us who do not have an ev or are not able to get an ev are paying for and i'm not going to get into the rights and wrongs of that but i know that is one of the arguments that people do come up against when it comes to incentives 
we've always i don't know maybe it's because i'm a nasty horrible cynical person but i've always known that sooner or later there was going to be a, a flip you know yeah. that those those incentives were going to tail off and uh, the carrots were going to be taken away and the sticks were going to be brought out and sooner or later whatever style powertrain you have you're going to be being beaten by the same taxation as internal combustion engines are right at the moment yeah. so I'm not sure why people are suddenly getting all uppity about this particular one, because it's just not a surprise. I think part of it is because it is tied into the very strong uh, rumours that from 2030, you will not be able to buy a new internal combustion engine vehicle, and you can still only buy a hybrid up to 2035 if the rumours are true. We're expecting mm. that to be announced in the next week or two. And this is all tied in with it. So I think there's a combination of people don't yeah. like the idea, hang on, you're making every road a toll road, and you're telling me that I must buy an electric vehicle. Okay, shall we take the first thing first that I think both of us are desperate to say, which is that UK government in general does not have a good reputation for successful rollout of infrastructure type things of change no i think that's fair to say yes track record isn't great <laughs> no i think that on this one they will stick to it because they don't actually have to do anything yeah all they have to do is tell other people what they should be doing not how to do it just they should be doing mm. and so they they are quite good at that well no they they do that so i think that it will Unless there is something that happens closer to the time where it becomes like the fuel duty escalator thing, then I think that they will stick to that. Mm -hmm. There are a few things which puzzle me about the internet and its discussion of this. The first seems to be that 1st of January 2035, every single in internal combustion engine car is is just going to either cease to work or is just going to disappear forever yes and that nobody will ever sell used cars yeah you know that's the first bit is like oh give over at that point nobody's going to force you and then the other side people say oh well that's it they're all going to be very very expensive that's it we're not going to be able to buy affordable internal combustion engine cars and it's like what what jump of twisted weird warped logic has brought you to that particular point it definitely does sound like from the school of my mate down the pub says it so it must be true there is an awful lot of that around this story mm. remember this is they're only considering they're not even saying that they're going to do it they're not even saying how they're going to do it uh, especially when it comes to the their own taxing so i think they'll stick to those dates the 2030 2035 and I don't honestly think it's that massive a problem. I don't either. For the numbers of vehicles that are purchased new or even registered mm. new, there will be enough supply in the next yeah. nine years. <laughs> yeah, and time for evolution of any charging infrastructure. Yeah. And I would hope some legislation to, to make new charges compulsory or at least seriously advised it's already coming in in, with in local areas isn't it for businesses when they do refurbishments we've seen it in london other local councils are doing similar where mm -hmm. they are dictating it must be part of their planning yeah exactly. so it, it, it from the charging point of view 
I think we're going to be okay. I agree with that completely. People in terraced houses will declare otherwise, but there is still many, many years to go. Yes. And there's ways around it. Just because you don't have your own plug, we don't. I don't have my own petrol pump, yeah. and I still manage. Exactly. <laughs> yes, well, quite. I actually think that if they do road use charging correctly, it could be done very well indeed. But it can't just be pure paper mile. It has to be paper mile per use, and possibly not even on all roads. And I think where you are and what the purpose of your journey is needs to be taken into consideration. Otherwise, this could be an incredibly unfair tax on those who live out in rural areas who have no public transport. And that's what I mean by per use and way. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It has to be location. And even better than that would be time yeah. as well. Lots of ways to encourage behavioral change which hopefully will mean we just don't have the space for more roads here in the UK. That's the problem. We just don't have the room. That is the biggest limiter. We're not France, so we can build a whole second network of fast roads. But I, I would also say, be, if with that coming in, as seems likely, in some shape or form, then it also gives the opportunity or another push for how people go to work and do work. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we say this every single time that something like this comes along. The pandemic has, has hammered it home and shown so many people, oh, actually, we can do it. We can work from home when others have been saying it for a long time. Okay, mm -hmm. that is possible. It's not for everyone. It's not for every type of job or industry, obviously. And it's not for someone to be doing it necessarily all year round without seeing other people or even every day every week that, yeah that's what i that's what i mean yeah exactly that you know? so if that is the case and employers can be flexible and when someone goes in and out of work that will reduce the cost for their employee to get to work as well if they're doing it on the the basis you were mm. explaining but the other thing i will say about the uh the the road uh, pricing is that's likely to be done via gps and all the rest of it my word, that'll stop speeding overnight, won't it? Yeah, you've said that. Yeah, because the date is going to be there. The date is going to be there because it's going to say a, a date and a time you set off from here. It'll say what road you went over and when you arrived, and all it takes is a simple little calculation to go. Hang on. <laughs> you say that, yeah, but remember, it's partly. It's. I would hope that it's that it's average speed related. I mean, we've got other stuff coming. I mean, that's 15 years away. And we, we see Euro NCAP and people talking about, you know, the speed regulators anyway coming, mm. you know, being introduced. At, not Euro NCAP, pardon me. But the EU and, and people saying, you know, we should be uh, GPS-based speed regulation anyhow. Mm. Talked about that a few weeks ago. What I was going to say was that the, you know, on French auto routes, the, so I have a plipper, beep and go, they're called, okay. telepayage things. And they don't, you know, it records when I pass through the toll booths. What they don't do is immediately, if I have held an incredibly high average speed, which I, I don't tend to, but that does not mean that I'm going to get a, part, uh, a speeding fine in the post. Okay. Do you think our government, with their love of how technology can do policing, are not going to go, ooh, look at this, a new toy? I think the French would be more likely to introduce that. I know that in the past it it has been done with physical policemen, 
where you've had the physical ticket, which is time-stamped, and they've gone, but uh, monsieur, to go from there to here, then it must be, you know, you work out your average speed, and it's like, well, that's over 130 kilometers an hour, sunny gym, whatever the French French equivalent <laughs> of that is. And, um, you know, so you must have been speeding, so... Please allow me to escort you to the nearest cash point. <laughs> well, yes, so just join this queue of cars over here, and we can all go to the cash point. Nowadays, by the way, they actually take card payments. Oh, good. I'm told. Much more efficient. <laughs> part of the the traipsing everyone to the cash machine was also part of the punishment uh essentially beforehand but yes you, you do occasionally still see them see, see people queued up at the side of the the auto route at a, the side of a, a tall area thankfully never me before we just round this out though just to mm. let you know in the show notes there are a couple more links one is an article from november last year in company car today that gives you an indication of how the government is thinking about price per mile how they're looking at it and how basically it is going to happen but they see it being uh, helping on uh, several levels it's not just a case of the funding although that is a is a major one but this is also to encourage people to consider their journey as well. That one's written by Daniel Puddicombe, but also Tom Callow tweeted out a a BVLA uh, report on Road to Zero, and it's titled Time to Shift Gear on Tax. And it goes through the the ideas behind this and the options and what, what it's all about. So both those are very good sort of background reading on this on this matter as well. One last little thing on the EV and the charging side of that is that there is a charity called Zero Carbon World. They essentially donate free charging stations to businesses or organizations, and I'm quoting from the website here, in the hotel, tourist, or leisure industry. And what they're doing is they're creating an unrestricted national charging network for people that way. Delivered on a first-come, first-served basis, depending on the type of business you are and what kind of electrical supplies are available to you. So if they're about, it's about £450 worth of kit, uh, and you can you can apply online. Uh, the link in the show notes, it's zerocarbonworld.org slash free hyphen charging hyphen stations. But if you go to the zerocarbonworld.org, then uh, up the top, you can click on a button. That'll take you to it, tell you a little bit more about it, who can who can apply and how to apply yep it's a great little initiative that is yes, right is. i'm going to move us on to once more about the government and once more roads but this time the upgrade to the a303 around stonehenge has now been approved well part of it <laughs> part of it the first part has which is the tunnelly bit which is the one that is causing the most consternation from lots of groups and interest organisations that, uh, and also the planning inspectorate. I was about to say, yes, all sorts of special interest groups like the planning inspectorate. Who said yeah. that if the project were to go ahead, it would cause, and I'm quoting now, permanent irreversible harm, end quote. Yeah. Which, and, and, and that's not some weirdo greeny group. No, that's it's not. It is not. They they often approve stuff that the rest of us look there and go, "Hang on, how do, what?" <laughs> but uh, there are okay. I don't think I've ever been along that bit of road. I have years ago. 
All right. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't go near it now unless I wanted to go to Stonehenge. Yeah, did some stones. I'm sorry. I know it's one of the great wonders of the world and a world heritage site and all these kind of things, but yeah. However, digging up all around it when we don't know that much still today does just just for some cars to go past a little bit quicker does seem a little short-sighted. There's a second stage to this, which uh-huh. they've put off the decision until the 29th of January next year, which is agreeing on the second phase, which is to widen the road to two lanes. So if they don't do that, having the tunnel makes no completely difference pointless. to the traffic because they are still in two single lanes. So the same volume yeah. of traffic will be there, whatever. So what really should be happening is either accepting there's tons of traffic there or you build a road that goes well away from this whole thing that connects the two points that people are trying to get to much quicker. So lorries, vans, people who are doing it for work, not to go for touristy bits, can travel that way. I agree. Yeah, it's all a bit... It does seem needlessly antagonistic. Especially what makes me chuckle to an extent about this is how we discussed uh, the other week about that really nice well thought out bit of road around the m4 mm. junction mm. uh and the the road that goes up to to gloucester and cheltenham i can't remember the the number of it right at the yeah minute. you mean the one where they discussed with locals and got good ideas and adapted it yeah that that's <laughs> the one and made it fit in with the surrounding scenery yeah. and follow the contours yeah. and and just generally be generally be what looks to be to minimizing environmental impact yeah, as opposed to this insistence that this that the A three hundred three has to go exactly where the A three hundred three seems to go right at the minute. So I don't, I don't know. I, I I've never been that way. We've we we went round it on a charge around Britain, mm-hmm. and I think any time I go that way, I do tend to go one way or the other. Yep. Right. Take us some better news. Well, yeah, Gordon Murray. That's always better news. <laughs> Murray Group. Yeah, anything. You just mentioned Gordon Murray, and I immediately think of. I immediately think of, of McLaren F1, Fiat 500s, Citroen Mahari, Orange Renault Kangoo, all the same stuff that everybody else thinks of when you mention Gordon Murray. <laughs> but yes, the Gordon Murray Group is investing $50 million, uh, setting up a, a new global headquarters in Windlesham in Surrey. It's not a million miles from Woking uh, and the, the McLaren. MTC, McLaren Technicals Technology Center. That's what I'm thinking of. So it's going to be to to build future models as well as development and design and all that stuff. The T50 supercar, that's the one with the ruddy great fan on the back. The road version at a mere 2.8 million and the track only ones will still be built near uh, near Dunsfold, the Dunsfold site, which is just up the road. But this secretive third model dubbed Project 2 uh, according to Autocar, uh, will be produced in Windlesham. Yep, that's good news, I guess. That is that that they because you know, I'm I'm still really fascinated by the ox. It's kind of it's the the ox. I think it's been spit roasted or something by now. I don't know that it ever got the the investment it needed. Mm. I think it's kind of gone very quiet. Who was I with not so long ago when we were discussing that? 
Um, but yeah, the the ox seems to have gone. Yeah, it's, I know it's gone quiet. But I, would, I I like the idea behind. Equally, I like the idea behind the uh, original modular construction and manufacturing system that he was coming up with as mm-hmm. well. It's, it's yeah, it's because it's clever. You know, basically, it's a clever technology use of technology, and we like that. <laughs> It's being used, but a whole bunch of vehicles have been announced. Sorry, this has now turned into a, miser- a miserable segment. A whole bunch of vehicles have been announced using it, but none of them has ever actually made production just yet. Okay. Uh, whether it be from it Yamaha, from TVR, from the, the Ox, or a- any of these. Mm. Sadly, because I think it's cool and I think it's clever. I want to see things that are cool and clever succeed. Yep, agreed. But it hasn't yet, so... Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us on to the making cars is hard bit. Yes. <laughs> ah, right. Now this has been rumbling for quite a while, but in the last twenty four forty eight hours, it's been upgraded because the National Highways Traffic Safety Administration has raised their uh, investigation level into why some of Tesla's Model S and Model X's built between 2012 and 2018 are having issues with the massive infotainment screen and system. Mm-hmm. It isn't well, it's just, not just the, the infotainment. Yeah, the screen. That's why I mentioned the screen because the screen is so important. But other parts or elements of the car are affected because obviously they are controlled via said screens. Mm-hmm. And what it turns out is it looks like that something called NAND memory chips, which are mo- more normally found in uh, mobile phones and cheap laptops, have been used around here, and they've apparently worn out. And what technically is going on is that they've hit their program array's cycle limits, which I don't understand. If you would like to add to that, Alan, and explain that in simple terms for somebody simple like me. <laughs> yeah, essentially, like the chips that are inside SD cards and stuff. And uh, the challenge with those is that they have a, a maximum number of read-write cycles. So you oh, can okay. kind of read them loads, but you can only write over them a bunch of times. And this was the problem with early SSDs and stuff. So that's hard drives. The challenge is that some of these ones in the earlier cars are now reaching the maximum number of read-write cycles because they're written to and read from pretty much all the time mm-hmm. when the car is being used. As a result, they're starting to glitch and have failings. Of course, it's different bits inside the chips that fail each time. So there's many little silly things that can happen as a result of this and as a result of the chips essentially having a memory overflow because, of course, as they break, they have less, 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 less memory. And so stuff just starts going wrong in a sort of weird and unusual manner. Yeah, for example, there is loss of rear view cameras, the defogging setting controls, which seem quite important being able to see. Also, there has been reports of impacts on the driver assistance technology and the autopilot system and also uh, the turn signal with loss of audible chimes, driver sensing and alerts associated. Yeah, so lots of random weird things going wrong. Yes, not what you need. So they're looking into that in in more detail now. Yeah, we will hear soon. It's it's at the stage just below an official recall. 
And Tesla don't tend to do recalls. No, but I think that's going to be taken out of their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real... But by the fact too. that uh, NH... NHTSA. Yes, thank you. NHTSA have said, we are just below that stage. I think basically buckle up. If you've got a Model S or X, get ready to have a letter sent to you that says, please bring this in and we will swap this over. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I hope that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. It's, it's it's Tesla. You can't always guarantee anything with that. No. That's the end of the first part, I think, Alan. Yes, that's right. It's Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron and different levels include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise, all ready for Christmas, available from our website and Teespring store, from stickers to mugs and T-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by subscribing for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, then thanks very much. The last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends and colleagues. Thank you. Formula E now. Formula E, they are announcing their first testing sessions for next year and for the start of the 2020 stroke 2021 campaign. Uh, Obviously, the season is going to start, fingers crossed, in Santiago in Chile on January the 16th and 17th. But before that, they're all going to corral themselves for testing at the Circuit Ricardo Tolmo in Valencia in Spain between November the 28th and December the 1st. Obviously, it's testing, so it's not really going to tell us very much. But it's it's there and we'll see cars going and hopefully not too many cars stopping and all these kinds of things. We get to see the drivers who've, who are in new teams, new to Formula E, the drivers yet to be announced hopefully <laughs> yeah there's there's not too many there aren't too many blanks to be honest uh overall i'm wondering what dragon are going to do though yeah dragon pensk have no drivers announced yet mahindra racing has alexander sims and we don't really know yet and neo 333 have oliver turvey and someone else but, uh, yeah so there's four spaces still to be filled uh, in that uh, i noticed that for that because it's so the testing is so close to when the cars have to be sent off to chile then they're not actually going to put a chicane in this year oh, okay on the circuit but they instead they're going to have track limit sensors uh the reason for that is is basically they don't want people crashing the cars and then them needing loads and loads of fixing mm. uh, just before they get sent away so so that seems a rather a rather sensible and grown-up approach as long as everybody sticks to it. Uh, but it has been agreed with all the, the, the teams that, that that's what they're going to do, and it's for the team's benefit. So I don't think there should be too much trouble with that. No, no I think it will be a weather-related unfortunate if there is any. Aye, yeah, totally, totally. So, uh, so yeah, Formula E gearing up for, uh, for next year. Yeah. Right, WRC. Now, we're still a couple of weeks away from the final... The final round of this odd season's conclusion, and it's going to be at Monza, as we've said before. And this is an article on Dirtfish where they find out how can how can Monza produce an event that is going to be WRC worthy. 
and they go into quite a bit of detail of how it's being set up. And no, it isn't a case of, you know, like one of these auto tests where there's a bunch of cones on some tarmac. It isn't that at all. So it's non-stop special staging. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they are going to take advantage of uh, a lot of the roads that are internal to the racetrack and stuff like that as well. So it's going to be a, a mix of mainly tarmac with a few bits of, of gravelly areas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which should be, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it, not just because you know we've got the potential of a British champion, if yeah. everything is equal, but can they make this work? Can they make it a viable a spectacle for us fans, but also make it interesting, fun and challenging for the drivers? Well, the idea of a stages rally isn't new, isn't new. No. And I know they they used to run one up at Rockingham, and it was great because it was in December, and it did just this. You know, you you they used lots of the the roads and a little bit of the off road track and fair chunk of the car park area and exhaust testing tunnels, which are how you get into the middle mm. of the circuit. And they used all of that in the pits and all sorts of stuff to to make adaptable tracks, and and they changed it for each stage. And sometimes they ran the same one backwards, and other times they 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 changed lots of stuff around. So I think it's completely possible, especially with a, a large circuit like Monza as opposed to a small, compact one like Rockingham, where it was very much a case of trying to squeeze it in and yeah. jiggle bits of circuit around and stuff. It should be kind of cool because if you can do that, and it's still exciting for us to watch. And it's still interesting enough for the manufacturers and the drivers. Mm-hmm. Then that seems a more economical way to do rallying. It is, but you've got to be careful that it doesn't go too far. Yeah, well, that's that's why I'm way. saying it's in, it'll be interesting to watch. How do they get the balance right, or is it just feel like well, this is all a bit stilted, isn't it? What it can be very good for is is good for spectators, mm. especially when as the year gets draws to a close and the knights are drawing in and all these kind of things it's great because you can see from without having to travel lots instead of just seeing the cars go past Mm. as kind of happens at most big rallies then you do actually get to see the cars loads of times at where uh, and all you've done as a spectator is wander about a bit or wander off to the cafe for a bovril because you're at a rally so bovril seems about right it's an outdoor sporting event so bovril fits the bill uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bother would like to get in touch for sponsorship opportunities uh there is but uh but no so they can work really really well for that kind of thing mm. uh, i think if they wanted to put more of these in there would have to be a balance between these and the long stage rallies because i think that they're important and and i think it's a good test for manufacturers drivers etc to be good at, at both endurance is a key part of WRC. And if you look further down in the article that, again, it links in the show note, mm. you'll see the itinerary. Um, the, the mileage isn't big by any stretch of the imagination uh, on on the Friday. It gets a bit longer on the Saturday because they, they go yeah, out. 60-mile stages. But some rallies are like 30-odd miles for a stage. I know they're yeah. more extreme, but that is where we're, things are being tested to their limits, aren't they? And that's part yeah, of the part of the sport and it has to be a bit of both i mean i know that when i was at rally sweden then it was quite cool because parts of that were set up in different places where there were the special stages Mm -hmm. around the headquarters then the first stages was on the friday friday evening 
it was through the quarry and it was really easy to to see what was happening because the cars came round and down and through and you know through everything and then the saturday evening special stage was at uh oh it was at the racetrack mm. uh, it was a you know a horse racing yeah, yeah. hippodrome type yeah. racetrack and again that you were up high and you could see everyone doing the special stages there as well yeah of course there were these miles and miles and miles in between through snowy swedish forest etc et yeah again interesting mm-hmm. interesting mix there so yes do read that because it'll be it, it it is interesting to see to the extent and the efforts they are going to now i don't i've not seen this being mentioned yet but i have noticed in the news that italy is clamping down again in areas now i don't yes. know whether it's in the lombard area i've not gone into that sort of i've just seen headlines so i started to get a little bit twitchy whether we're actually going to have this finale at all yeah that's sort of well it's just north of milan really i i don't know to an extent i've been trying not to ask yeah and i probably should have asked it's whether the sporting events are are covered because i know as we've said in the last couple of events that they are taking a lot of precautions to keep different groups of people involved in the rally separate so there's the people who are close to each other they only stay in their area and then there's the people that go out onto the stages who do the interviewing cameras the drivers but they remain two meters from each other obviously because of social distancing and they stay in a separate area when it comes back to base so these things are happening hopefully that's enough that means that this can actually finish because you know everybody wants the Mm -hmm. the season to finish as normally as is possible in these times yes exactly it's not great but steady it's the current statistic according to google Mm -hmm. for lombardy okay okay beautiful beautiful part of the world i really want to go to italy i've never been it's so nice Mm. yeah i want to spend more time in italy come on take us to a lunchtime read now lunchtime read is a piece from matt Pryor. i noticed a couple of weeks almost a couple of weeks ago now um and it's uh, modern cars are too effective for their own good and uh, matt would like modern cars to be a little bit worse and therefore <laughs> more fun to drive is essentially what he's saying <laughs> uh, i think it's a really interesting piece i enjoyed it when i first spotted it I think it ties in with last week's special edition about the the GI Yaris and stuff, mm-hmm. and what I said at the very end. Have a little read. It's it's not particularly long. It's an interesting opinion piece. Yeah, I think it's thought provoking. It made me sit and yeah. think and go, "Oh, actually, that's that is a point." I mean, the the whole cars, modern cars, have so much power. Thing mm. has. I know it's something we've talked about offline quite a bit. And yeah. it's difficult to get a car anywhere near a limit on public roads. Yeah. Unless you go really far down the food chain. Yes. If people were watching the Instagrams and stuff, they'll know that I had a, a little Hyundai i10 N line. Uh, there's a special edition to come on that in a few weeks' time, to be honest, uh, just because there's lots of other stuff filling up in between. And it has 100 horsepower. And on Saturday after the after driving GIS, I, I swear I took it out for a, a, a blat on some of the roads around here, and I laughed pretty much as much in that as I did in the GIS. Mm. And that's not a slight on the GR at all. It's just that fun cars are fun, but some of them you can pedal a bit more more of the time. Yeah, 
that that's where it's going have a read matt he, he says things far better than i do and, and generally in f- fewer words as well and that's probably the case here too i think we've expended <laughs> more words describing the article than there actually are in the article <laughs> Andrew, list of the week. Yeah, list of the week. And it's from Petrol Blog. And it's actually from Club Petrol Blog. And Gavin Braithwaite Smith asked members of Club Petrol Blog what they thought their, their favourite car for the 1990s was. So he got some responses and he's got an article. Uh, and there are some cracking choices on here. And I do have to say, mm. I didn't realise this when I first selected the article, but. For those who play along with the motoring podcast drinking game, you do need to charge your glass before you scroll all the way down. Because one of us, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna really, you know, let the cat out the bag. But one of us is in this list and discussing a vehicle in which it is the rules that you do need to take a slurp. But apart from that, Alan, two sentences. Is there a car in this list that stands out to you? Yes, yes, there is. Go on then, do do describe. The Mazda three two three V six, I think, is a beautiful, pretty little car with a fantastic engine that is an absolute pig to maintain. <laughs> and the cars are terrible tin worm collectors and all sorts of bad things. But a mate of mine, he had one that he'd bought for fifty quid, hundred and oh, forget if it was fifty quid or a hundred quid, and he ran it for many years and improved it immeasurably. And they are a lovely car with a fantastic little engine. So I'm gonna say that. That's the Lantis style one, you know the one the coupe mm-hmm. style five door hatchback. Yep, I think they are gorgeous. And the pictures pretty, pretty. as well for that. Yeah, that's from the press picks, I think. Yeah. yeah. Pretty pretty cars. Yep. What about you then? Go on. Uh, well, I'm torn. There are so many here that are very, there are very good. But I think I will plump for the Citroen XM. Yes, that was. I okay. I almost chose that. Or actually, there was another one I almost chose as well. But there's so many good ones in there. Actually, yeah, this is, this is a good list. We do, you know we don't give you rubbish lists, listeners. But this this is a particularly good list. Next time, Gav will ask for suggestions. A, I'll write more, and B, I'll choose something different. I didn't know what was going to happen. Isn't that isn't that part of your thing? Mind. You know that whole if I was kidnapped then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I should have. I should have seen it. Should have seen it. Go on, take us to the end. Finally, then. And finally, this week. Well, we couldn't use the glove story. No, it hasn't come to that yet. It nearly came to that. It hasn't. Come, it nearly came to that. Actually, the, the 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 driving glove story nearly came to that. But no, this is from Jalopnik, and it's about the two thousands Nissan Micra. I I should know what the model code is, but I can't remember. K. Um, um, hang on. It says it in here. It's the K12 chassis code. Oh, okay. So it's the K10s, the, the one that was the curvy car. This is the one that came after yep. that, that was also built at Sunderland as well. So the one that looks like it's got a bit of a moustache and sort of boggly eyes that poke out. That is, if you stand back and squint very much, an updated... Is it going this mini? If you look at it, it has no, apart from that grill at the front, if you look at the rest of it and you look at the shape of the tail lights, you look at the shape and position of the headlamps, uh the way that the the there is that shoulder down the side. How much have you been drinking um, tonight? 
I've not much. I haven't even had 300 mils of 4% beer. Um, Maybe that's the that, problem that, then. Okay, you, you, you go with if that. When you I look am at choosing this, it not to agree totally with you. Totally mini need to carry on. It, it really is. The shape, the window line, all of that stuff. But yes, and it's how it's the anti-car design icon that, that they missed in the US. I am actually quite divided in this in that it's a sort of... It's awful. It's absolutely awful to look at. It's it's very clever, but I don't think it's a nice-looking thing. But it's also quite... I like the cleverness in it, but I would never be seen in one. My cousin had one as his first car, and that very much is it. It's it's a first car or a last car, <laughs> car. And yeah, and, and it's the story of that and how it, at one point it was actually meant to be introduced into the US uh, as well, which I didn't realize yeah. as a, a possibly smart branded or, or similar. I didn't know some of this stuff. I just thought it was interesting. I know that some bits, there are some details which are wrong. So those of us who are European and car nerds will will know those. But yeah. And there's a video of the Nissan Micro 350SR, which was where they took a 350Z engine and put it in the back of said Micro. Actually, when I say they, Ray Malak of RML, just down the road in Wellingborough here, actually did it and engineered it. The same people that engineered the Duke R. Okay, yeah, yeah. Where they took the GTR engine and made it short, and then uh, Litchfield were involved and Beacon were involved as well in, in the in the car mm-hmm. so yeah there's a video of that and it's a really good little and finally piece i thought yes it is even though i can't stand the car but yes i think it is very interesting yeah I, I just do you know what i do like that we we do miss actually is that late 90s early 2000s where the interiors of small cars actually came in funky colors yes yes i was only lamenting Lack of colour in interior last night. Oh, that's night. true. Yes, I hadn't hadn't thought about that. But I was looking at it and thought, oh, that pale blue. I mean, I wouldn't really want it, but it's it's cool that it's there and it's airy and it's light. I wonder how long they lasted that colour. Depends how quickly they ended up being delivery cars for takeaways, really, doesn't Probably, it? Probably, yeah. But yes, I agree with you. I like the fact that there are not just splashes of colour, there are swathes of different colours to mm-hmm. lift an interior. Yeah, and different textures yep. as well. So there's those glossy finishes and on the but- some and of the buttons a, and, a very and funky door handles and things. Design. Yeah, well, that was that. If you think it was this, it was the original Mark One Yaris, or I suppose the Mitsubishi Colt was a little bit later. Mm. But yeah, I mean they're, they're kind of kind of funky. I don't want to say curvy cars. Obviously, the worst micro was the one that followed that. By the way, the the one that sort of trashed the micro brand. Don't remember. I can't remember what that one well, is you see specifically. That, that, that therein, you don't remember. That's the whole. No, but thing I remember about the bubble version. one because I had one. One liter K-10. bubble one. K ten. Yeah. That was and it was poor. and then indestructible. Was the next one was built in India, I believe, if I remember rightly, and was really a developing markets car that was then they then tried to sell in Europe. So everybody went, "What is this rubbish?" Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and went off and bought Duke instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas those ones were, were built in, in Sunderland. Anyway, on which Nissan nerdery, Parish Notes this week. If you haven't listened to the GR Yaris Special Edition, it's a mere hour and six minutes. It, I swear it is, but I swear it is different from everybody else's GR Yaris reviews. Well, yeah, because it's for an hour. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> 
But it's yeah, it, I'd like to think that there's a slightly different no one take else on it. goes into the into depth like we have, thanks to you. And you have, as was confirmed by a listener, you have managed to keep it from being a complete nerd fest. I'm still amazed that I managed that. So am I. Yeah, I think everybody is. So, no, please do have a listen. Um, we put many hours into that between the two of us, I think. A lot of effort went into that to make it as good as we possibly could. So if there's one 2020 motoring podcast you listen to, please make it last Friday. Yes. Please. <laughs> uh, there will be... It, it sparks the start of another bunch of special editions because we've got a little bit of catching up to do. And uh, so there's going to be a whole bunch coming out. And as I say, there's there's more stuff uh, being added into that as we go along yep. as well. If people have more stuff they would like to invite us along to, then do feel free. Yes. We like those sort of messages. Well, we do. <laughs> apart from the fact I'm really running out of holiday days because it's, it's December. <laughs> Anyway, don't forget, folks, between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon offer or all the other ways to support us available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch uh, at a COVID-friendly distance? <laughs> with you best way to get in touch with me is via twitter if you search for crack windscreen you should find me there and alan if people would like to i don't know discuss the merits of various micro models with you more what is the best way for them to get in touch with you personally <laughs> uh you can get in touch with me by twitter although i can't really say i'll be in a position to help very much uh but on twitter i'm at ajp bradley that's b-r-a-d L-E-Y. We'll be back soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>